coach, teacher, podcaster, online business owner, and above all, I am constantly dreaming up ways to reimagine education. I provide teachers with tips, tricks, and strategies to transform their classrooms into learning hubs that are filled with creativity, innovation, and discovery. I hope to empower all teachers, no matter what subject they teach, to experiment with innovative learning models and lead their classrooms with 21st century skills. So let's learn and grow together as 21st century educators. This is the EdTech Classroom Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the EdTech Classroom Podcast. In today's episode, I'm chatting with a good friend of mine, Spencer Sharp. He's also known online as Sharp the Builder. Spencer has a pretty interesting story. He's an elementary STEM teacher who built the program at his school from the ground up. Today, he's still teaching, but he's also building an online community of STEM teachers through his blog and his work as Sharp the Builder. But before we dive into today's conversation, let's take a look at our EdTech Tool of the Week. EdTech Tool of the Week. Our EdTech Tool of the Week this week is Adobe Spark. Adobe Spark allows users to easily create stunning graphics, short videos, and web pages. In the classroom setting specifically, Adobe Spark empowers students and teachers to easily create and share visual stories. Adobe Spark first and foremost helps students develop creative storytelling skills. In the classroom, students can use Adobe Spark to design stunning graphics. They can make things like science fair posters or social studies infographics. Students can also create some really attention-grabbing web pages. They can even make captivating videos from book reports to teaching a concept to general video presentations. Educators can try out Adobe Spark's premium features for free, and I'd recommend trying it out with your middle school students and up. So try it out, let me know what you guys think, and let's get back into the episode. Spencer Sharp is an elementary STEM teacher from Indiana who built the STEM program at his school from scratch. Spencer developed STEM curriculum for kindergarten through sixth grade and hasn't turned back. He's still in the classroom and he's simultaneously pursuing his dream of creating STEM curriculum for teachers across the country. He hopes to use his experiences and the experiences of other STEM teachers to build a curriculum that is worth teaching to our students. He's also the host of the Innovative Teacher podcast. If you guys remember, his co-host Naomi Meredith actually joined us on the show a few months ago. And Spencer also runs the blog for teachers, Sharp the Builder. Spencer, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I am so excited and thank you for that intro. That was so kind of you. And yeah, I just, I love what I do and I love talking about it. Like when I set up this meeting with you, I was like, you know, it doesn't even seem like a job to me to do this on a Sunday. This seems like just like a fun conversation. And like we talked about earlier, we followed each other so long. It's like, this is kind of cool to finally meet each other, even though we feel like we have known each other for like over a year now is how long we've kind of done this. So I'm excited to be here and I'm excited to talk about all these fun, different things around the world of 
makerspace and STEM and all that great stuff. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. We were chatting, like you said, before the show, and it's been so neat getting to watch your journey online. We both kind of started doing similar things for teachers online at roughly the same time. And so it's been really cool to watch you grow and see all the neat and innovative things that you're doing in your classroom. Um, So like I said, you know, you're a STEM teacher, you build STEM curriculum for teachers as well. So could you talk about your background and what led you to where you are today? Yeah, it's kind of like a really strange story. And the fact that when I was in college STEM, it was like you could take like a class or two. Um, I know a lot of colleges now you can get your minor in STEM. Um, Some of you can even get a major in STEM, which is really cool. But at the time, it wasn't very well known. I took a couple classes in STEM so I could kind of do like a concentration. And I was like, this is really cool. Like, you know, I grew up really struggling in the classroom. I had a little bit of ADHD and my mom was a teacher. So she kind of helped me cope with that and taught me some different cool, like, you know, mechanisms and things to do that, you know, made me successful. And I was super grateful for that. And after I graduated, I actually went to a school and they said, Hey, we want to start a STEM program. You know, would you be interested in teaching it? So they kind of approached me a little bit, but I also had to apply for it. Um, We had a conversation with my principal now who's incredible um, and super supportive. And our visions were kind of lined up, you know, we wanted to make it affordable for the school. We wanted to make it effective. Um, And in doing that, I knew there would be a lot of work in the beginning. And, you know, ever since that kind of happened, I I said, I couldn't, I couldn't teach another classroom. Like I could physically not do it just because I feel like STEM's that powerful for me. And if I did a classroom, it would be STEM all the time, which I know some schools would be cool with that. And, you know, I could step into something like that, but really um, building this program up, it's been like my baby, like I've said, um, because I love it. It's so much fun. And every year I, get to try new things and I have a lot of freedom in what I can try. And the cool part is, you know, now I have teachers come to me or schools and they're like, Hey, I'm now going to be the second through fourth grade STEM teacher, or I'm going to be the STEM teacher for elementary. You know, what are some pointers and things you have, you know, that could help me. And I'm always like, this is why I kind of started, you know, on Instagram and kind of went to the blog and everything else. Cause I know for me, it was like five in the morning till five o'clock at night that first year you know, if not longer of curriculum writing and all that stuff. And I love it, but I'm like, you know, I want to help teachers. So I'm kind of in that position now where I can do a little bit of everything. And I love that because that's how my brain works. <laughs> and so it's one of those things I just, I love my position. I love that it came up to me. It was one of those things that was just perfect timing and I wouldn't trade it, trade it for the world. No, that's amazing. Well, it's so clear that you're so passionate about what you do for your students. You're so passionate about helping other teachers out there as well. So to clarify, you, your very first teaching job was as a STEM teacher. Is that correct? Yes. So it was like I graduated um, and then I went to look for jobs. And it was actually kind of funny because when I applied to the school, I applied for a kindergarten job. And now I'm like, it takes a very special person to teach kindergarten. Like I would say kindergarten teachers are like angels sent from heaven. Cause I'm like, every time I have kindergarten, that's some of my hardest like classes for STEM where I'm still trying to figure it out and I'm still doing, trying new things and stuff. But yeah, it was my first position. And I think the hardest part was they're like, yeah, there isn't any curriculum. And so when I was in college, there was always curriculum that I was like, here, here's what you teach. And they're like, you get to create your own curriculum. So I'm like, wow, that's like big right there. And they were like, you know, here's all the materials you get. And they had like four tables set up in my room of just random stuff. And I was like, wow. So I just kind of went through, started writing curriculum. Um, After my first year, I actually got my master's in um, STEM curriculum and instruction. 
which I'm glad I did after the first couple of years, but it was kind of nice to get a couple of years under my belt and then get that. But it was one of those things that like most teachers being thrown into that position probably wouldn't enjoy it maybe their first year. Uh, just cause it was a lot of upfront work. It was, but like, it was super rewarding to see like the kids um, succeed. And especially um, in my room, the first year I really saw some of the kids that they would bring to my class. They would bring them in sections, the high, medium, and low group, which I hate that to begin with. Um, but that's how they brought them. And my students who they classified were low were my best students by far. And it wasn't even close. And it's because they always had to have those skills that they built, you know, those, well, I don't understand this. How can I understand it? And whereas, you know, the higher kids, they would always say, I understand it. And they just want you to tell them the answer. You know, they, the lower kids, they're into self, you know, exploring, critical thinking, problem solving. And those are the skills that really flourish in STEM, makerspace, whatever it might be that I was doing in my room at the time. And I always thought that was really cool to see, you know, because I know I was a student who was kind of lower and I didn't really ever get recognized, even if I was working harder you know, than the other kids. It didn't, it didn't matter. So. Oh, that's so neat. That's, that's something that I'm kind of always talking about on, on this podcast too. I feel like that I've noticed as a STEM teacher is that the kids who typically struggle the most and like this very traditional rigid classroom setting are oftentimes the ones who are really thriving in my classroom. And so that's something that's neat to hear that you've uh, experienced with your students as well. Yeah. And I mean, I think too, like, I know you probably get, I mean, you probably, I know, cause I've listened to your show a lot. You get to tell such fun stories about it. And I feel like those are what makes STEM seem inspiring to others. And I know like when I write emails to my email list or when I'm chatting with people on Instagram or whatever it might be like teachers, I'm like, I always give them like a story and they're like, wow, that was like super powerful. And I'm like, yeah, like, and it's not something that's like out of the norm. Like it just doesn't happen to me. You know, it happens to you. It happens to most STEM teachers. Cause that's what it's kind of designed to do. You know, it's those skills that we see, you know, kids using in jobs and, you know, in future jobs with programming and everything else. Those are the skills we need to build. So it's, I mean, it's one of those things like, that's why I love STEM. Like that would be the number one thing I would say, like, that's why I love it. That's why I believe in it. Cause I see the value in it. And I see the value from those students that sometimes teachers kind of write off, you know, just cause they're like, well, he's really low. He'll be lucky that, you know, he gets a job. And I'm like, no, I mean, he could get a job being an engineer or an electrician, maybe, you know, maybe we do an electricity unit or maybe, you know, programming. And I think that's always kind of cool just to talk about with STEM teachers. Cause it's like, we have so many cool stories about our students that, you know, people, I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily teachers don't believe cause they always believe in all their students, but someone that they're just like, you know, that kid kind of has his place where, you know, STEM teachers are like, I don't think he has a place. I'm not going to really put him in a box him, you know, he or she or, or whoever, you know, I think they can try this. And that's what I always encourage my students to do. Cause I'm like, you're young, try those new things out and maybe you love it. Maybe you don't love it, but that's the only way you're going to learn. Hmm. I love that. I really love that. Um, so thinking back to your, your first year teaching, right? You developed all this STEM curriculum from scratch. That to me is really incredible. <laughs> I had somewhat of a similar experience. I wasn't the first STEM teacher at my school when I joined. Uh, but when I got there, there was no curriculum for me. 
um, because the teacher before didn't really help leave anything behind. And so I, in a lot of ways, had to build things from scratch, but it doesn't sound like to the same degree that you had to. So could you talk about an example of a project that you did your very first teach year teaching, whether it be a, you know, a really high quality project that you're still doing today, or it could also be an example of a project that maybe completely failed and made you learn a lot. <laughs> I might do both because I mean, I think there's some beauty in both those things. So I guess like my first project that really stood out to me was when we, um, my, I think it was fourth grade or fifth grade. It might've been both. We did a catapult competition. So we, you know, talked about all the forms of energy, how we can, you know, create more energy to basically fling this ping pong ball across the room. Um, and it was just such high level talk. Um, I heard so many kids just using vocab words in their everyday language after that about energy and force and motion and all that kind of stuff. And it was great because our teachers were like, they're just using this language. Like, how did you get them to do it? And I'm like, I didn't do anything. I just gave them a problem. You know, we had popsicle sticks at the time. We had pop lids and rubber bands and we just built like little ones. Um, and we just talked about, well, how could we increase it? How could we make the ball go farther? Is there a certain point the ball will no longer go farther because of the only the amount of potential to kinetic energy it has and things like that. And it was just one of those lessons I do every year and the kids are always blown away. I think this year, even I posted a video on my Instagram of a girl who flicked the ball and because of COVID we were spread out, but she somehow flicked it all the way to this back table with this boy. And he was like, <gasps> and he was like blown away that it like almost hit him. And even in my first year, my principal walked in and it was like ping pong balls were going everywhere. And like the old teacher and me or like what I would normally see like a teacher do. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get in trouble. And she was like, this is awesome. Like, this is what I wanted out of this program. So that made me be like, okay, you know, I'm doing this right, you know, and it made me feel really good. But like on the other end, um, there was plenty of projects I would try and they wouldn't succeed the first time or they wouldn't look good. But like the kids, I, I tell the kids all the time. I said, you know, I make all these lesson plans myself, you know, in my spare time before school, early mornings or late at night. And I see sometimes we do a lesson and Mr. Sharp doesn't do a good job. It's just that simple. Like I always try to preach to them, you know, you're going to fail in life. If you don't fail, you're not learning anything. So I'm like, there's plenty of lessons that I go to teach and I fail all the time. Like I know the first year when I went to teach about kites, I was having my first graders build kites. And I just, I did a little bit too much as far as density of curriculum, where it seemed like we were doing more of like, the define the problem other than the hands-on stuff. And I didn't really like that as much. And then the end products didn't really turn out as well. And they didn't understand the concepts of wind, um, how to like, you know, catch the wind with the kite and what that kind of looks like. And I even, I mean, I give that example to kids all the time because I said, you know, that's something I thought would go well. I was, you know, disappointed and that's human nature, but I said, what can I change? And then the next year I went back and tried it again. So I think when you're doing STEM, especially if you're writing your own curriculum, there's going to be lessons you're like, oh, that's a really good idea. And then you go to try it and what it looks like in your head versus what the kids get doesn't necessarily work. I mean, it happens to me, I feel like all the time because I'm always trying new lessons. Um, even last week, I tried to do like a life jacket for Barbie and um, my one group of kids really understood it. And we did a jam board and answered all these questions and it was so much fun. And then the next group came in and it was like over their head. And I was like, oh my gosh, what do I need to change? in order for these kids to understand. I think that's kind of the fun part about STEM. You know, curriculum can look so different for everybody. And I, you know, you have a teacher's pay teacher store and you know how it is. Like sometimes people will be like, you know, my students really enjoy this or they didn't understand it to this extent. And I'm like, that's kind of the fun part about STEM, you know, 
I might give you a lesson and your students might take it a whole nother direction than the way my students took it. And I think that's what's powerful about STEM is the kids kind of lead that conversation mm. and what that looks like. I love that you just said that. I completely agree. I think what's so cool about being a STEM teacher is that my classroom feels very student-centered. I feel like I'm just a facilitator and the kids are really driving the learning. So that's neat to hear that that's something that you have in common as well. Have you ever like went to teach a lesson and you kind of had prepared what you were going to talk about with like the define the problem part and then they go a whole nother direction and you're like, honestly... I don't really know the answer to that. Like sometimes I'm like, I don't know the answer to that. I'm like, we can look it up and then we kind of mm-hmm. get in like mm-hmm. a little, you know, space where we're doing research and stuff. Has that happened to you? Oh, all the time. <laughs> I also, you're, you've pointed out now two things that I feel like really resonate with me. First, talking about experiences where you failed with your students. Mm-hmm. That's something that I've tried to get really better at in the past year, especially, is being really honest with students. Like adults make mistakes too. Mm-hmm. Adults fail as well. Like mm-hmm. sometimes my lessons don't go as planned and that's a really great opportunity for me to learn. Mm-hmm. And I think when students see that kids feel that way, or sorry, sorry, when students see that adults have that experience mm-hmm. as well, makes them feel more comfortable failing safely in your classroom. Um, so that's something that you pointed out that I um, that I really resonate with. What was the second thing that you just said? The second thing was um, how like they'll say like, you you have a lesson plan and you're going to go this direction. And then they go this way. Oh, right. You don't right, know right. about it. I think like, <laughs> I mean, when you act like, I mean, you're like, hey, I don't know about that. Kids are like, oh my gosh, like teachers don't know everything. It's like, no, like, you know, every day is a learning opportunity for all of us. And I think they like, really appreciate that and I mean the one time I remember we were doing shelters and I wanted to talk about like different forms of extreme weather well they never heard or they never seen in their lifetime in Indiana which is a big deal they never they never have never seen a blizzard and I'm like oh I've seen one and they're like well what defines a blizzard and I'm like honestly I don't know what meets the requirements I know it's so many inches of snow with a certain kind of wind and they were like well let's look it up and I'm like yeah let's do it like I don't know the answer and they were like stunned that I didn't know it and I'm like your homeroom teachers might not tell you this, but they don't know everything. Like, sorry, but they don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. I, I, a few episodes ago, actually, it was probably probably about 10 episodes ago at this point, but I recorded with um, Sarah Love, who is a TK teacher, mm-hmm. and she posed this really amazing question to me that I've started to pose to students that's completely shifted the way I've had these conversations with students. And she will probe students when they ask her a question she'll often say how do you think we can find out and I think that that being really intentional with that language is such a great way to help students realize that they can be authors of their own learning Mm -hmm. and that they can go out there and practice their research skills and that we can do some sort of co-learning where it's an investigative experience for everyone so I really like the intentionality of that language and so that's something that I really tried to get better at in my classroom this year as well I like that and I think being intentional about what the way you word questions and facilitate to the kids is so important I the kids get mad at me a lot because I'll be like I never tell them the answer they're like just tell me the answer and I'm like that would take the enjoyment out of learning I say that to them all the time and like what do you mean by that Mike if I told you the answer, more than likely, you're probably going to get forget it tomorrow. I was like, if you discover it on your own, you're going to remember it randomly like 10 years later. I'm like, trust me, like there's times I randomly think about a teacher where they were like, hey, what about this? And then I'm like, oh, 
you know, I discovered it on my own through a cool project, you know, and I think about like that random project that happened, you know, versus just a teacher being like, this is this, you know, that doesn't necessarily resonate or help with, you know, that long-term learning with students. So I think that's super important the way we word things to kids. Hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. So you've mentioned, you've mentioned throughout our conversation so far, some examples of some skills that you hope students get in your classroom. You've talked about, you know, helping students become lifelong learners. I think you were just kind of hinting at that just now. Mm -hmm. You've talked about wanting students to develop these 21st century skills, these skills that uh, are going to be applicable for the jobs that students might have one day. Um, Could you elaborate a little bit more on some of these skills that you hope students will be learning in your classroom? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think along with the skills, you know, every person that I really kind of talk to when, you know, there's that always that person that they're not sure if they want to use STEM because they're like, well, what are they going to learn? What kind of skills are they going to learn? You know, what can I take to my school board or, you know, whoever to get this ball rolling as far as using STEM in my classroom? And I think one of the most important things that, you know, my administrators love to hear is those application skills. Like in the classroom, they're learning so much content but how can they apply it to a real world, real world problem? And I think, you know, those 21st century skills like applying your knowledge, critical thinking, problem solving, even collaborative learning are so important now more than ever. You know, I think it was last year I read a stat that there was like, I think it might've been 10, 10 or 15,000 more jobs in computer programming or computers um, all together. So I'm like, why are we not, Uh, teaching skills around those problem solving of different computer problems or programming or whatever it might be. It's, you know, those skills are super important between problem solving, critical thinking, um, collaborative, um, and even analyzing your work, I think is another big one that, you know, my students would say they learn a lot of in my room. And, you know, sometimes they don't realize they're learning those, you know, different 21st century skills or whatever skills you want to, you know, call them, but they're learning them. They just don't realize it. And especially when there's you know, one group that's arguing and they're not happy with each other. And then they're like, oh, we could do this. And they kind of figure out, I'm like, well, you just use collaborative skills, you know, to set your differences aside and come up with a problem. So then even then you did some problem solving skills. And a lot of times they don't realize it. And I think that's kind of the cool part about it is, you know, it's not something I'm explicitly saying today, you will be, you know, thinking critically about this, you know, they just kind of do it. Cause I'll say, here's the problem at hand you know, and we'll kind of learn together about it. And then it's like, wow, they learned all those skills without me saying, hey, you're learning these skills. And I think that's kind of the cool part or, you know, effective way to approach those skills too. I love having STEM (laughs) teachers on the show because everything you just said, I was like, yeah, just as you were saying it, I was like, oh, I'm going to say this next. And it was like, nope, you said it next. So I, I, I come, I, again, completely mm-hmm. agree with what you're saying. I think something that's really cool about being a STEM teacher is that STEM class is really fun. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. it's so <laughs> much fun for the teacher. It's so much fun for the students that sometimes they don't realize that they're learning all these skills. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, as the teacher, you can name like, oh, you're using your collaboration skills yeah, right now, yeah. <laughs> or you're using your communication skills, but it's really neat that those skills are almost happening 
and students are, are developing those skills and not realizing it. I think mm-hmm. that that's where learning can be so fun for students is that they're excited to collaborate. Oh, yeah. They're excited to practice communicating with each other. And as you're talking about, you know, thinking about students in the real world, those are all skills that they're going to be using. And so it's neat that those are skills that you're helping students develop in your classroom while they're in this really safe environment. You know, they're so young, obviously, you teach elementary students just like I do. But it's it's a great way to set them up so that one day when they are in the real world, they've had all these real um, experiences in your classroom that are going to make them thrive in whatever career mm-hmm. path they end up pursuing one day. And I think it's it's always funny, especially since you said it like that, that the kids, they have so much fun. I even had a student and I love telling the story that he told his mom, his mom was telling me um, through an email that he didn't think Mr. Sharp was actually a teacher because he was having way too much fun and he has way too much fun in his class. There's <laughs> no way he's a teacher. And I was like, that just cracks me up, but it's, it's true. You know, they're having that amount of, I would say fun and like fun through a problem that they're like, you know, I actually want to solve this. And there's, you know, a little bit of that behind every STEM lesson to the point where they're like, you know, this doesn't really seem like a teacher that, you know, and Naomi always says that STEM teachers are like cool aunts and uncles. And I always like stealing that. Cause I'm like, we kind of are, you know, we do a little, I mean, a lot more facilitating. We kind of flip that classroom around and the kids really see it as like an opportunity, which I think is like, a game changer, you know, for curriculum, um, for me. And that's why I always tell people is like, you know, you're flipping the script and making it something that they want to come to school about, you know, you're not going to have kids, you know, down or not doing something. Like I have kids that get so excited in my room, my teeth and te- their classroom teachers, like I never see them get excited. And I'm like, I see them get excited every day, you know? So I think it's a cool opportunity, you know, as people that get to do that all day, get to see that excitement behind kids for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also love the kids who you hear are thriving in the regular classroom. Mm-hmm. I also appreciate getting to see those kids struggle in my classroom a little bit too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously I'm there to support those students, but I think it's important for kids to learn that school can be hard, e- mm-hmm. even for the kid who typically thrives in a conventional classroom setting as well. So I think the reverse can be true too. Yeah. And that's something too, like, I don't talk about as much as I wish I did too, because I, I've had kids like that, that they were just like, tell me, you know, like I said earlier, kind of tell me that answer kind of kid. I just want to get it right. Cause they're so used to being perfect. And I would say, you know, that's not what this class is about. Like you're not coming to this class for that reason. And to see them kind of develop those skills just a little bit different and struggle a little bit, I think, I think is good. And I think long-term those kids are like, wow, that really, you know, was effective for me and being in there was a good use of my time. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, So I want to switch gears a tiny bit because you are the makerspace expert (laughs) in my mind. You are posting so much online about makerspaces. You have some really great blog posts about it. Um, I really have enjoyed following you and learning about your experience with makerspace. I know you're also, I'm pretty sure, developing makerspace curriculum now Mm -hmm. for Uh, a ton of schools in Indiana, right? Yeah, there's a a company. It's called First Makerspace, and they kind of reached out to me and said, hey, you know, would you want to develop some curriculum for us around makerspace? And I was like, absolutely. Like, that sounds like a dream come true. That's always been my dream. So I was super pumped when they did it. Cause I'm like, this is a very cool opportunity for a lot of schools to get curriculum. And like, my biggest thing is I want to make it easy to use. I want to make it hands-on. I just feel like a lot of the stuff you buy from what I would say, like quote unquote, the big companies is so, you know, worksheet oriented. And I hate that. Cause I don't, I don't think that's what it's about. So I'm, I'm hoping I can kind of change that and flip the script with first makerspace. So I'm, I'm excited about that opportunity for sure. 
That's amazing. Well, you've definitely already been (laughs) flipping the script. I mean, like I said, everything you've been doing over the past year has been really incredible Mm -hmm. and inspirational to me as a STEM teacher. And, you know, makerspaces, there's been a buzz about makerspaces for kind Mm -hmm. of a while. They're not an entirely new concept. I mean, people have been talking about them in education for a while, but there's a lot of hype around them, in my opinion. I don't know if you agree with that. But I think that there's been also with hype, I think this is true with anything with hype, there's been a lot of myths around makerspaces. And these are really fascinating to me because I'm, as you know, obsessed with makerspaces. I think they're incredible. You clearly are too. So could you talk about, I I basically put together a list of a couple of different myths that I would love it if you could talk about these and possibly Mm -hmm. debunk them if you think they are myths or tell me why the myths are yeah. actually reality. Let's do it. Um, so the the first one is that makerspaces only exist in STEM classrooms. So uh, yeah, I would say that's that's a big time myth. Um, just as far as like even in my STEM classroom, I didn't. I mean, I use makerspace all the time and makerspace concepts. But I have teachers that come to me and they're like, you know, I kind of want to make a space that is a makerspace, like in my room somewhere, and it doesn't have to be a full room. Like I know people that they do like a makerspace corner and that's, they use that as like a special in their class um, as far as just a little bit of time. And I think creating that space in your classroom lets the kids know, like, you know, this is a space where I can be creative and not necessarily, I only get 45 minutes a week of STEM, you know, I can be creative in other places. Um, Not only that, but like statistics have shown when kids are comfortable in an environment like that, they're going to thrive and their other subjects, you know, they're going to be more comfortable. So I think actually it would be even the opposite of that, you know, myth, putting makerspace in your classroom would help with all kinds of learning with your students. And it's very easy to, you know, just put a little corner and put, you know, makerspace across the top and put some materials there. Um, And maybe you do some, uh, what I would call like leads a makerspace or makerspace kind of that's organized where you kind of give them a, a small problem and they go about it in their own way or maybe it's open-ended i've done both and i've seen positives and negatives of both for sure awesome thank you yeah. i i think my hope for makerspaces is that eventually every classroom mm-hmm. all across the world has a makerspace in it and that stem is no longer its own subject and is instead implemented in every homeroom classroom. Now, if my principal is listening, I don't want to lose my job, so please keep (laughs) STEM class forever. (laughs) But my hope is that STEM class and makerspaces become more embedded into the classroom, Mm. because I think you're totally right. There's so many really great opportunities for students to be creative in the classroom. And of course, homeroom classroom teachers are so creative there are classroom Mm -hmm. teachers who are by far more creative than i am but that's definitely my hope is that that's something that becomes more integrated into other subject areas other than just stem right and i and i definitely think you see a lot of schools kind of pushing that way and i even i kind of joke with my principal the same thing you were saying because a lot of uh, schools in indiana are now doing it where they hire a stem curriculum developer so that person basically works with teachers on getting that you know, instruction in their classroom and getting it more than 45 minutes a day. So how can that, you know, STEM or makerspace, how can that be integrated into our history time or how can that be integrated into our, you know, reading and stuff. But then that, then if we get into that conversation, we're also getting into PBL and everything else. And I don't want to get off topic too much. So <laughs> <laughs> it's also interdisciplinary yeah, though, right? Yeah. I mean, being a STEM teacher is, 
the title STEM is about as interdisciplinary as it gets. It oh, has yeah. yeah. Four or five, depending on <laughs> STEM or STEAM subject areas all in one. So <laughs> um, so the next myth I think is kind of related a little bit to what you were saying about maker you can have a makerspace corner. It doesn't have to mm-hmm. be a full room. Um, so the next myth is makerspaces are high tech and expensive. Yeah, that's I mean, that's something I hear all the time about STEM as well and makerspace and all I mean, everything that's new to people like that, they always just assume, well, I saw this company and I have to spend X amount of dollars. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, every year I'll send out a letter for makerspace items and STEM items. um, And I'll just say like, hey, if you could donate paper towels, note cards, whatever it might be, we would greatly appreciate it and we can use them. And most people just throw them away. And then all year I have kids bringing me all kinds of stuff. And I mean, that's how I, I've always kind of funded my, you know, programs. I don't spend a lot of money on materials. I don't think you need to. And, you know, robots are cool and different STEM tools are cool. Like I have some of them, but they're not necessarily needed. I would say you don't necessarily need them at all. I mean, everything that is in makerspace can be used from stuff you have around home. I mean, that's just the, I mean, that's just something I've always believed. Um, definitely. So I would definitely say that this is a myth. Just because for me, I think you can do things very affordable and I think the kids enjoy that more. You know, it's like I built something out of like we do cardboard shoes at my school. That's like one of the makerspace um, prompts they have. And they actually work with kids in New York on building these shoes and they collaborate with them via Zoom. And when they do it, they like love it. And they're like, I built a shoe out of cardboard and like it actually fits my foot and they wear it around and I give them extra credit if it makes it a full day at school, which is always funny to see all the kids wearing like cardboard shoes. So I think it's like very doable. I think it's like one of those things that like people believe this and then in their head, that's kind of like their escape. Like, oh, I don't need to worry about it because it's going to be expensive. Well, that's not necessarily true. You could do it very, very cheap. I love the uh, cardboard shoe project that you <laughs> that you do with students. Listeners, I'm going to have obviously a link to Spencer's website in the show notes. But on the homepage of his website, he has this picture of himself in a pile <laughs> of cardboard holding a cardboard shoe and to me it is the most the most stem teacher photo (laughs) i've ever seen i love it so much this project is sounds really cool i also love that your students wear the shoes around the school i think that's really fun (laughs) and the shoe project i actually made free on my website just because i work with some other people with it and it's one project we actually took a step further last year and we sold the shoes online and we raised money for uh, schools in Africa. But that shoe I was holding, the funny part about it is that girl, she worked uh, probably the one week in total, probably like 20 to 30 hours of like non-STEM time that she had working on that shoe. Cause she's like, I want it to look as realistic as possible. And when people see that picture, they always think it's just a shoe. They're like, You're, why are you holding a shoe up? I'm like, it's a cardboard shoe. Like someone made it. Like that's not made out of cardboard. I'm like, I swear it is. Like people don't ever believe me that it's like a shoe made out of cardboard. I'm like, I promise it is like, I'm not lying. <laughs> I can't believe a student made that shoe. Yeah. In my brain, it just had always been, oh, that's an example that he made yeah, for his class. No, I can't, no. That's amazing. Yeah. It's a really high quality looking shoe. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, mean, that... I would probably buy it if I saw yeah. it at the store. <laughs> <laughs> that's when her sold, she was pumped. Um, and the funny part was I told her, I'm like, it sold. She goes, yeah, it's a bid system. She goes, I outbid the person that was buying it because she wanted her own shoe. So she turned around and like had her parents buy the shoe. And I'm like, it's cool that we raised money, but I feel bad that you had to do that. But she was like, no, we wanted to, you know, you talked about the cause and helping kids go to school in Africa and how important it was and how fortunate we are. And she's like, I wanted to do it. And I really wanted my shoe. So she's like, it was like a double thing. So mm. it always makes me laugh talking about that project. 
That's awesome. I don't know if this is a part of your project, but I had recently learned a fact about how um, shoe the creation of shoes is actually really bad for the environment. Next year, I want to do that because the guy I do it with in New York, we actually talked about that quite a bit um, because now they have like a for 3D printers, you can print out a model of a shoe that is reusable. So like it's reusable for like other things you can do as well as it stretches out so it can fit like I think it was like a three-year-old up until like an average 16-year-old. So you like the lifespan of the shoes a lot longer and it's like real durable. And I'm like, that's kind of cool because yeah, we were talking about like the effects on the environment and I had no idea personally. I was like, wow, that kind of blew my mind. Like it's one of those things you don't think of. And then when you hear about it, you're like, that's something I could add to my lesson for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I was going to say that because <laughs> since I'm in Southern California, you know, my students care so much about the environment they're always talking about mm-hmm. how to you know save the planet right. and how much they love animals and i'm sure loving animals is probably a consistent theme in most elementary yeah. classrooms <laughs> but um i that would be a neat a neat uh way to to explore doing that activity one day mm-hmm, for sure yep um so the next myth this is the last one is myth number three is maker spaces are just playing with cool stuff they're just fluff so kids, kids would tell you this is the truth because they feel like they're playing a lot, but kind of like a STEM lesson, you know, kids will say I played in STEM, but really I feel like having that hands-on connection, the hand to mind um, thing is what I always tell the kids. You learn so much from that. You know, you learn a lot from building, uh, testing your build for whatever problem it's solving. Um, and saying like, how can I improve this? Um, engineers do that all the time. And I wouldn't say they're playing and they're fluff and it's not necessarily, you know, fluff. I would say, I would say that the learning they do there is going to stay with them for a very long time. Even this year, um, I did a very open maker space. So it was like, Hey, there's these stations, you know, there's some different problems you can solve, go up, go after it and try it. And I even had like a student, um, build with a makey, makey, a full on interactive controller to get kids moving while playing Mario. And then he built Mario on scratch. So he learned how to program using block program at that time um, and learned order of operations. He also learned about variables through programming. I mean, he learned about electricity to set up his controller in a safe environment and how electricity would work. So, I mean, he learned a lot, but he would tell you he played, played for a week. Um, but the reality is he learned probably more in that time span than he probably has in a very long time, just because he was so responsible for his learning. And that's what I love about makerspace. It puts the kids in charge of their learning. You know, they get to kind of say, here's what I'm going to learn. And then they go after it. And to see a kid go after something that they're passionate about, it's like, wow, like, why don't we do more of this? You know, but it's, it's also very hard because, you know, we have to follow standards and, you know, different forms of curriculum. But, you know, when kids get pushed kind of towards it and they don't know it, it's super effective like that. And I I definitely loved doing that this year. And I wrote a blog post all about it too, just because I was like, it was cool to see you know, how kids were affected by, you know, just seeing them where they would go and what they would learn and what they took away from it. So I would say that's, that's a myth just because, you know, you can learn a lot from a makerspace without really knowing it. Hmm. Yeah. That's another really great example of student-centered learning. Hmm. And I like that you gave the example of kids thinking that they might say that it's true, that Hmm. it is just cool stuff and fluff. I have a kind of a funny story where, I got, a, I got a parent email from a kindergarten parent last year who, amazing parent, amazing family, amazing child, 
The kid went home from school one day and the parents said, what did you do today? Said, oh, I played and did all this fun stuff during STEM class. And, you know, kindergarten parents, first time their kids Mm -hmm. at school, completely normal. I got an email from the parent asking me, like, what did my kid do in your classroom today? Because it sounded like they didn't do a lot of learning. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, no, the kids are having so much fun. And I took it as a compliment, Uh, right? Because I want kids to have mm -hmm. so much fun in my classroom that they don't always feel like they're learning. So uh, that's, I think, a funny example of how sometimes kids in STEM class do Mm -hmm. think that they're having so much fun and they're doing all this cool stuff and not really realizing that they are learning these standards that you're talking about. You know, everything I do in my classroom is very much rooted in standards. I mean, it Mm -hmm. it has to be, and I want it to be. Mm -hmm. It's important to me that students are getting these standards. Um, But it's just, it's just funny that kids don't always uh, realize that. (laughs) And it's funny because like, I I feel like I get that from time to time. And we have like parents that sometimes sub, like there's a couple different parents and they're like, do they just like play around in your room? And I'm like, if you, if you talk to your kid, they would say yes. But if you talk to me, you're going to get a long spiel. And they always just laugh about it because I'm like, yeah, like that's just kind of, you know, how it goes. You know, when you do so much hands-on stuff, you know, especially like with my kindergartners, like you probably do like a lot of movement. Like I'll do like a lot of stations and they're moving from here to there and, you know, doing like all kinds of stuff with different manipulatives. And that's what they're always like. Well, it was so much fun playing in STEM today. And in my head, I'm like, they're going to go home and tell their parents that, you know, like basically what you just said. And then I'm like, but I can explain and justify, you know, what we were learning and how important it was. So that's always, it's always nice to hear that, even though most teachers want to take it as a compliment, us STEM teachers are like, yeah, we know we're that fun. Like we know we're that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, so I have one last question for you. Thanks for, thanks for leaning into my myth activity. <laughs> yes. No, that was fun. I, I love makerspace. And that was like, I mean, I've heard some of those before, but just like, you know, some of them I didn't. So I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool. And you know, that's, I think that's one of the fun parts about being online is you get to talk to people about these different, you know, things. And I get people sometimes they'd be like, well, I don't want to do STEM because of this. And it's usually like a myth. And I'm like, well, that's not necessarily true. So I think, you know, having these conversations like this is going to be super insightful for teachers for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I have one last question. And if there's a teacher who's listening right now, maybe they don't have a makerspace in their classroom. Maybe there's no makerspace at their school. What initial steps do you recommend that they take to create one if they're looking to create one? So I, I like to start very simple with this because I used to have like something on my website people could download that was like five steps to starting a STEM program. And really, I should go back and change it because I think the number one thing um, I should have done right away, which I put this like a step three, was reaching out to parents and getting a lot of like community support um, as far as like hey, here's what, you know, STEM is, explaining what it is. Because when they went to school, you know, STEM, that there was no STEM. I mean, more than likely. Um, and kind of explaining what it is, what you need as far as, you know, materials. And I think right there is a great starting point. Because I know, like, I had so many parents be like, oh, I just love what you're doing. I think it's super important. And I've even had people come to me too before and be like, I think it's really cool what you're doing. I want to help, like, from a financial standpoint. And I'm like, wow, that's really powerful you know, for someone who doesn't have a huge budget budget. And, you know, if a teacher like that is starting out, you don't have a budget for it. So to get that support where you can get different items and stuff, I think is the number one step. And, you know, from there, it's just coming up with a simple problem that your students are passionate about. You know, I know the one year our school, we had a funding issue with getting some different furniture. So I was like, Hey, that's a STEM problem right there. Like we don't have enough money to make furniture. Can we make environmental friendly furniture? So my kids were building out of like 
old recyclable um, water bottles, recyclable cardboard we were building, like chairs, bookshelves. And the school was using them like in their classrooms. So it's like one of those things too. Like I think when you do that, other teachers will see the value in it. Um, they'll see like, wow, that wasn't expensive. Like I thought, and it will kind of debunk some of those myths and it will help kind of get you started saying, wow, like every time I hear there's a problem in our school, why can't I pose that problem to our students? Those are two really, really great ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, I have all these creative juices flowing in my brain now. (laughs) So thank you for sharing those specifically. I love the idea of getting the community involved. Mm -hmm. That's something that I've been kind of playing around with in my, in my brain lately. And it's, this is not a fully fleshed out idea, but we have so many experts in our community, right? Mm. I live in a pretty big city. And there are parents who are, we have parents who are electricians. We have parents who are engineers. Mm -hmm. We have, we have people who live really close by our school who are probably experts and have STEM professions. And I don't think I've utilized that to my advantage enough. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've done enough reaching out. You know, I'm talking so much about wanting my learning to be, you know, real world learning where students are connecting with experts, but I'm not sure how much of that I'm actually doing. And I like that idea of reaching out to people in the community. It's something that hearing it, I'm like, oh, of course, that's so simple, (laughs) yet feels like it could have a really big impact. So I really like that idea. Yeah. And even like something I'm working on right now, and I haven't really talked about it a bunch, is like creating almost like community partners, you know? So these companies I hear all the time, especially where I live, which I live out in the middle like of nowhere, um, as far as in Indiana which is great, but there's a lot of companies that you're like, you know, we want workers that can do, you know, problem solving. I'm like, that's exactly what I teach. Can we partner up? So they give us problems. They bring people in to talk to the kids about, you know, being an electrician, all these different jobs. Um, and in return, they kind of partner with um, our school. So it's a, it's, an, it's a way for them to get more, you know, employees that they think are effective um, and kind of start helping them and guiding them in the right way. And then also, you know, those companies are like, we would love to help support your, you know, program any way we can, whether it be financially or maybe they give me cardboard or whatever. So that's something I'm working on right now, actually with my school too. So that's kind of like the beginning stages for me of like building that community relationship. But I think it's super important. It's like you said, like it's something my first couple of years I like thought about, like I should do something more with that. And I thought about it and I was like, why not partner up with these community or these different companies, build community, you know, so when kids graduate, they can say, Hey, I remember when this, you know, electrician came and talked from this company, I would love to do, you know, an internship with them and get in, you know, with that company. I think it's a super effective way to teach STEM. And I think it'd be really cool to see, but yeah, especially in Los Angeles, you would have like a, like some really cool opportunities with parents and, you know, nearby companies for sure. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's true of so many different neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. There's so many ways that you can be really creative about reaching out to the community. So thank you for giving me that idea. I'm sure (laughs) listeners are excited too. Uh, But that's something I'm going to maybe think about this afternoon and figure out if I can try and get some community involvement before Mm -hmm. the school year ends. So thanks for that. Mm -hmm, No problem. All right. So this is actually my last question. You're awesome. I think you're so cool. I've loved getting to know you online. I really appreciated our conversation today. How and where can listeners find you? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I'm I'm so excited when you uh, DM me, my wife can confirm that I was like super pumped. I was like, I will like, this is a podcast I listen to, you know, in my car anyway. So I was like, oh, I'm super excited. You know, I've known you from the beginning. So it's been a pleasure getting to talk to you today. But um, you can find me at Sharp the Builder across everything. 
Um, so Instagram, I'm Sharp the Builder, Facebook, Twitter, uh, my website's Sharp the Builder. I actually just got my website redone, which I was super pumped about. Um, I want to do all the programming myself, but I just don't have enough time right now with a lot of the projects I'm working on. So I got it's also hard. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I know it enough, but like I know it enough that it would take me like six months, and I'm like, someone else could do it like in a month, you know, or less. So I'm like, I'm gonna hand this project over. So on Sharp the Builder, um, I have my shop up there. I have you know a blog post. I upload some videos, and then I'm on Teacher to Pay Teacher as well. Um, and a little sneak peek, me and Naomi are actually working with this company. It's kind of like Teachers Pay Teachers, um, but they're based out of Australia. And they have, um, instead of buying like resources, you can buy different um, PD programs that can go towards your license. So we will upload videos of us talking about, you know, STEM, and then that can go towards your license. Plus you get to learn about, you know, all the different hacks we use in STEM. And with that, you get like lesson plans and different stuff. So I'm really excited about doing that as well. Just, I think it'll be something that's cool. Um, I'm always trying to figure out new creative ways just to meet more people and meet new friends for sure. Cause you know, it leads to cool opportunities like this, which is always fun because you know, it blow my parents away. Cause my parents are terrible with technology to know I'm talking to someone from Los Angeles. They'd be like, what you talk to someone? I'm like, yeah, like I know people from all over the place. So it was so much fun being on here and um, I definitely look forward to seeing what you do in the future as well. So I'm excited. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll have everything linked in the show notes for listeners to find you. Uh, Spencer's a really great follow. So I highly recommend following him him on Instagram and also all the other platforms. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the EdTech Classroom podcast with Spencer Sharp or Sharp the Builder. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate, subscribe, write a review. It would mean the world to me. And I'll see you back here soon. Bye, friends. Thank you.